Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening and a warning that there may be audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have died. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Max Costello from the Refugee Action Collective. We had a really interesting conversation off air about refugee groups condemning border force judging itself. Now, basically, we're going to be speaking with Max about something quite disturbing, and there's a a media release that listeners may want to take a look at um, on the Refugee Action Collective website, Refugee Advocates Who Wrote to the Comcare Regulator Over Alleged Safety Breaches by Australian Border Force, outraged that the reply came from ABF itself, clearing itself of any wrongdoing. So we're going to be speaking with Max presently about that. And then after that, we will be speaking with Anthony Kelly, who is from Melbourne Activist Legal Support. And we will speak to him about a class action in regards to OC spray being used against protesters at the IMARC protests in 2019. But before we actually um, speak with Max, I'll just give you a little bit more background um, with, you know, with this first interview. So basically there's a quote here um, from the Refugee Action Collective saying the last thing you expect is a letter from the alleged offender, it being Border Force, saying we're innocent, but that's what has happened. So we're going to be speaking with um, Max about the fact that on the 12th of July, the Refugee Action Collective and Sydney's Refugee Action Coalition as I said, wrote to Comcare, the regulator, that enforces the Work Health and Safety Act 2011. So we'll be speaking with him shortly. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Black Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning and liberation. Black Spark is a space for the entire community, free of charge, hosting art, music and literary events. To keep Black Spark free, open and accessible to everybody, we need your help. We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years. With your support, 
we can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs, and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots communities. For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive! A 3CR support. And you're back with the Doing Time show and I'd like to welcome Max Costello from the Refugee Action Collective to talk about the failure of the government to protect detainees at Melbourne's Park Hotel from COVID-19 risks and I'm sure we'll be speaking about other issues as well. Welcome, Max. Thanks very much, Marissa. Lovely to have you. So I'm wondering if you could just talk about what happened and discuss a little bit of the background as to what's led up to this letter. Yes, well, we've, I myself, uh, to a limited extent, and another refugee action collective, RAC Victoria, I'll call RAC Vic for short, another uh, activist with RAC Vic, Margaret Sinclair, who has a diploma of work health and safety, between us, we have written to the regulator, Comcare, the, the supposed law enforcer of, as you say, the Work Health and Safety Act uh, 2000. That's the Commonwealth uh, Work Health and Safety Act. We have written uh, since 2015 a total of 76 times to the regulator, Comcare, saying uh, we've got evidence, uh, indicative evidence, that there are serious breaches of of this Health and Safety Act in immigration detention facilities. Our early letters were mainly about the shocking treatment on Manus and Nauru, but of course in more recent times we've been looking more at and pointing more alleged breaches, pointing out more alleged breaches in relation to onshore places, including the so-called alternative places of detention, the APOTs, such as the Park Hotel in Melbourne, um, and every time, those 76 times, every time Comcare has replied, our inspectors have looked and found no breach of the Health and Safety Act. So that's the sort of background to the letter that Rack Vic and Rack Sydney sent, as you say, on the 12th of July. I'll just pause there. That's by way of background. Sure. Um, and, and I believe that in September... They, what happened? What happened? Did something happen in the September this year? We, well, we expected, of course, a reply uh, from Comcare saying, "Oh, we look, you know, we're concerned. We're looking into this, or whatever." But no, we didn't get a reply from Comcare at all. And of course, the, the allegations we made were about the department concerned. Historically, it was immigration, then immigration border uh, control, or whatever you know, border whatever it was called. And then, more recently, it's become it's become home affairs. Well, we'd been writing for years and alleging that, well, I'll call it for short, home affairs slash ABF because people don't realise Australian Border Force is not a standalone police force. Australian Border Force is only a unit within home affairs. Um, Absolutely. So our letters were accusing or alleging that home affairs slash ABF were responsible for the maltreatment, the apparent breaches of health and safety. And, and people might not know this, but if you go to ABS website, it says, quote, we are responsible for the management of immigration detention facilities, and here's the key bit, including 
the health and safety of the detainees. So within Home Affairs, ABF is the uh, key uh, alleged offender. So we write to Comcare and go into detail about the Park Hotel and other places, the long list of uh, allegations we make, and out of the blue in September, we don't get a reply from Comcare, we get a reply from one of the alleged offenders, Australian Border Force. I mean, look, if you, I'll just make the example, say you walk along the footpath and a car swerves off the road, breaks your leg, the driver speeds off, you manage to get the rego number and you write to the police and say, look into this, there's been a serious criminal offence here, please uh, follow up and enforce the law against the driver. You don't expect a letter from the driver saying, I'm innocent. <laughs> I mean, really. But that's the equivalent. We got, a, we got a reply from the alleged offender. And guess what they said? Uh, I'll read you, it's only a sentence. Yeah. I'll, read you, I'll read you what they say, but it amounts to we're not guilty. It says, the Department of Home Affairs and the Australian Border Force takes its responsibilities under the Work, Health and Safety Act very seriously, ensuring that it meets all requirements of the WHS legislation. The ABF provides an environment free of risks to the health and safety of all who fall under its duty of care so far as is reasonably practical. In other words, nothing to see here. We're innocent. So, so that's that's the remarkable thing that's happened. It is indeed remarkable, and in fact, I'm just having a look at the media release, and I note I note here that it's not just Victoria that has contributed to the media release. You've got Margaret as well, but also um, Ian Rintel. The Ian Rintel from Sydney. We, from we hooked Sydney. up with Sydney Rack because Ian's been quite uh, active in this space, and of course, yes. and he's actually covered in the media, cases where health and safety has been breached in um, in Sydney and, and, and uh, Yonga Hill, you know, all over the place. So it's That's not right. just a, a Melbourne-only uh, or Victorian-only letter. The most appalling situation here, Max, is that we've got... We had, and we still do have, not so much in the Park Hotel, but back then there were vulnerable detainees that were trapped behind windows... That couldn't open and, you know, really putting refugees and asylum seekers strictly at risk in that, you know, they weren't offered vaccinations, were they? Well, that, well that's right. Our, our, letter, our letter goes into that and, as I say, we, we raise more than just the Park Hotel issue. But just on the Park Hotel, mm. um, we, we pointed out that, that um, the detainees... Uh, along with aged care residents, uh, people in prisons, um, these people and Indigenous Australians, remote communities, these are the people right at the outset when we, the COVID outbreak started occurring, it was officially declared that they, they were the most vulnerable, the most at risk um, of catching COVID. And, and therefore, uh, they should have been the very first being offered the vaccines. Now, the vaccines became generally available, as our letter says, in, in February 2021. Well, they, the vaccines weren't offered to the detainees at the Park Hotel until August. That's six, you know, six months. Now, that is a shocking breach of health and safety. Shocking. And furthermore, as you mentioned, the windows were unopened. That's because the windows at that hotel are sort of built into the wall. They're not, you know, windows that you can 
you can, you know, operate a wine something. They're just, they're part of the wall. And, and here's Comcare's, uh, sorry, Border Force's reply, um, cl- uh, quote, claims that detainees are deprived of fresh air are false. All detainees have access to fresh air and outdoor spaces, etc., etc. Um, now, the Park Hotel—that that, they're, they're saying we've got to—we make a false allegation. Their denial is false. So very much so. We'll be following it up. I should just mention there's a meeting at Rackvik, and people are welcome to join Rackvik. We meet every Monday night at 6:30 at the. Um, Kathleen Syme Library just near Melbourne University. Meetings are open to interested members of the public. Uh, by all means, come along. Um, we're meeting tonight and we're going to, I've drafted a letter which I've sent to Ian Rintoul and we'll be seeking, uh, well, if this letter's agreed to, I'm just only a draft, we're seeking sure. an apology. Apology from the Secretary of Home Affairs and the Commissioner of the Australian Force, Border Force Acknowledging that, and I'm quoting here from the draft, if a law enforcement body gets a letter alleging criminal offences and calling for enforcement action, brackets potentially including prosecution, an alleged offender ought not reply to that letter. And we also, this is a bit more detail, uh, I should back and fill a little bit. Our letter to to, uh, Comcare back in July was, we also, we co-addressed several of the current ministers that have, you know, home affairs, uh, immigration, um, uh, the workplace uh, minister who is, da- is David, uh, Mr Burke, um, and also the Attorney General, and, and we, because they all have various little bits of responsibility for detention centres, the Worth Health and Safety Act, uh, criminal enforcement, and so on. And we said, look, please, could one of you please? Uh, take up this issue because we asked the relevant minister, who was the most relevant minister, to remind Comcare that it's supposed to be enforcing the law and these people are very vulnerable. And we'll, um, so we're, we're calling for, in our follow-up, to perhaps suggest that uh, the Attorney-General could call a meeting of all those ministers and clarify with them exactly who's responsible in particular for the Work, Health and Safety Act and for therefore for Comcare's performance as a regulator. Um, and because we've been writing for years and Comcare just keeps saying nothing to see here, we're also suggesting that, that, uh, that you know, we're pushing the barrow, pushing the issue a bit. We could, we're urging the Attorney-General, if this letter is agreed to, to invite us to make a submission that could, uh, that could support a, a, a proper inquiry into the history of Comcare's almost total non-enforcement of the law. So we're um, we're not letting the re- letter the matter rest. We we'll pursue it further at tonight's meeting and Sydney's. will think about it too. So I'm not I'm not prejudging what sure. what the outcome will be. But uh, this is um, I mean imagine if the police uh, for the last ten years had just stopped enforcing speed limits. I mean oh. it'd be the nation would be up in arms. But here's a regulator that with only a handful of exceptions has never enforced the Health and Safety Act to protect detainees. Um, the, 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 the one major... There was... They did lay criminal charges last year uh, in response, uh, really, to a detainee suicide at the Sydney's Villawood Detention Centre, and those charges are still in the pipeline. They'll be... And that looks like there could be a trial even next year. But 
that's a major exception to the general comment that Margaret and I have found that they just basically, by and large, just don't enforce the law to protect detainees. No, they do not. And in fact, taking up your point about what you were saying about the lack of fresh air and windows not being able to open, it simply is so false. Like, I, I interviewed a few detainees when they were staying at the Park Hotel, and, and both of them had mental health issues. This was back in 2020. Yep. And had said that they, they were not allowed to go outside. They weren't even allowed to go into the hallway. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and furthermore, um, uh, we wrote, Margaret wrote a detailed letter. I wrote a fairly straightforward letter about these COVID, unaddressed, unprevented COVID risks. And sure enough, at that stage, there were 45 detainees at the Park Hotel. Uh, um, that was in August, they finally get offered the vaccines and some, a handful of them might have been um, actually given the vaccines fairly promptly. We don't know precisely, but what we can say is that by September, 21 of the 45 detainees had contracted COVID. And Comcare says, oh no, nothing to see here. They, um, you know, it's up to the Department of Health to offer the vaccines. Just, uh, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just uh, astonishing. Um, but we're hoping, our problem is, uh, as you'd understand, being in the media, getting coverage uh, is, is, is half the battle. And that's why we're issuing with Sydney media releases on these issues and trying to get some traction within the, within the media. And you, you might, um, you might notice in this last weekend's The Saturday paper, there was a magnificent article by Mike Seckham about the astronomical cost of offshore detention, uh, so that is getting that issue is um, is getting some attention. And perversely, it may be that the because the you know the federal government, the Albanese government's got a massive debt inherited from the, the Liberals, and they're looking. The Treasury is looking for ways to cut the rorts and the waste. Well, 9.65 million on offshore processing. If that's not a waste. Uh, I don't know what is, so we hope we hope Jim Chalmers will uh, will end that that scam. But that's a bit of a separate topic. But but whatever. Not can get really, it's connected. Up. It's actually connected. <laughs> yes, well, it, it is, and and I've again I've sent in a letter to the Saturday paper. I don't know if it'll get published, but I I point out that in addition to his second superb article, there's something people don't realise. He mentions that the Manor Centre was closed. I think in 2017, and he also mentions that no one has been sent to offshore processing since 2014. No one. And and I added this point that the Nauru Centre, there's still a building there, but it's been empty. Of, it's been empty since March 2019. And this this contract that they're talking that they're, they're discussing with this uh, American mob that runs prisons in the USA, the, the, the contract is for, quote, the provision of facilities, comma, garrison and reception services to arrivals. Well, there are facilities, but they're empty, so you don't need a garrison. Exactly. <laughs> and, and there's been no arrival since 2014. So what reception services are needed? And we, we, you know, my letter says that Chalmers should 
apply the blowtorch to this scam. But I'm ranging a bit outside the uh, the uh, the topic, uh, Marissa. But uh, yes, yes and no. Yeah. I mean, I, I can. It's it's always good for listeners to be aware of that background, anyway. But getting back to the Comcare, um, basically, there's a total fa- failure, isn't it? Even Almost before total. the pandemic, for over a decade, decade to enforce yeah. the act in relation yeah. to all this, yeah. Yes, people who don't know people following your program, others would know about health and safety law in general because all the health and safety acts around Australia are almost identical. And by far the the most used and the most effective tool for health and safety inspectors is what they call an improvement notice. The inspector finds that there's something wrong about the way the workplace is run, might be physical, might be uh, psychological treatment, whatever it is. If it's a serious breach of the duty, of the health and safety duty under the Act, the inspector will write an issue on the spot, an improvement notice saying, you're breaking, you're breaching the duty provision X, this is how you're breaching it, and I require you, I order you by this notice to get your workplace into compliance by reasonable date X. The advantage of the improvement notice is that, by and large, they nip the danger in the bud before someone gets seriously injured, ill or whatever. Um, But in the 10 years that Comcare has supposedly been enforcing the Health and Safety Act uh, in relation to immigration detention centres, they have only issued six improvement notices. Now, WorkSafe in Victoria issues like 1,500 a year. You know, Comcare is the the lightest touch enforcer imaginable and uh, it's clear that somewhere someone has got to Comcare and said whatever else you do don't enforce the law in relation to detainees. I don't know I don't know who spoke to who or or whatever but it's it's really compared to uh, health and safety uh, enforcement generally around Australia it is a a glaring and shocking uh, discrepancy and of course if 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 health and safety is not enforced, then people are damaged psychologically, physically, or both. It's very interesting that this has not been covered too much in the media, not yes. since the tennis player. <laughs> That's uh, right. You know? yes, it, it was fortuitous that Djokovic was sent to the Park Hotel and it, it shone the spotlight on it. Um, so every little bit helped, as you say, your program, uh, you know, the Saturday paper, The Guardian... Uh, Guardian Australia does some good stuff, um, but uh, you know it, it really it should have been, for example, a Four Corners program, you know, six years ago. Oh. Uh, it, um, and we hope that, uh, that this will happen. And we've actually, as I said, towards the end of our draft letter, we've urged the Attorney General to uh, invite Rack Vic and Rack Sydney to put in a submission. That would um, that would lay the basis for a full inquiry into this ten year of virtually no enforcement. Now, as I keep saying, that that's only a draft; it hasn't been agreed to. Um, but we are trying to, you know, use whatever levers we can to get something done about all this. And if people want to find out more about the topic, they can attend the meeting on Monday nights. Yes, yes. The um, I don't quite remember the street address, but if you go to the tram, the giant tram stop outside Melbourne Uni, one of the streets that heads uh, towards the Carlton and the Readings Bookshop and all the restaurants and so on, it's only a little way along that street and um, 
it's the Kathleen Sign Live, very pleasant little setting and we have our meetings in one of the rooms there from 6.30 to 7.30 or so. So, uh, yes. And of course um, they can jump onto the website, the Refugee yes. Action Collective website. Yes. Max, thank Indeed. you so much for coming on the program. I mean, do you have any, do you have any final comments at all? Uh, well, I suppose my main one is watch this space. Um, the, um, I should just add one tiny little thing. What, sure. what, um, what Comcare claimed, sorry, did I say Comcare? What Border Force claimed is that one of the ministers asked uh, ABF to reply to our letter. Now, look, what we say in our draft letter back on this is, look, even if that's the case, I mean, a law, uh, an alleged offender, a government department that's alleged to have committed serial criminal offences over a decade's worth of criminal offences, a government department should know that it's not appropriate for for them, the government, the ABF, to write, or they should have known. Even even if taking them at their word that they were asked to respond, they should have known. Hang on, we're the alleged offender. We don't. We don't. You, you don't. You just don't do that. So. It's and no that's excuse. federal, right? Federal? Yeah, federal. Yeah, federal. Yes. Under the Labor I mean, government. Yeah, but um, yes. I, look, I think all the Labor ministers concerned. I, there are overlapping responsibilities. They're all pretty flat out to, trying to catch up after ten years of, of no no proper government really in Australia. I imagine they're busy. Their staff are very busy, and yeah. and and a mistake, a slip, could easily have been made. But 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 as I say, even if it was it was supposedly flicked to for i mean i'll just take a very simple example if sure. if we if we had written to the attorney general and uh, and the australian federal but we written to the australian federal police copy to the attorney general is the relevant minister and accused and accused department x of a whole series of serious criminal offences and someone in the government office somewhere said oh um australian uh, you know, D- Department X, can you reply to this letter? I mean, excuse me, uh, they would know that's just not on. Um, that's so right. There's no excuse. It's a disgrace, and I've invited you on today for an extended interview. Usually, you know, it varies with the show, with the Doing Time show. Sometimes we'll have three interviews that are shorter. But today we, I wanted to do two interviews, and we're going to be doing pretty soon um, looking at the class action that the IMARC protests are taking against the police. And that'll be mm-hmm. another excellent interview with Anthony Kelly following on from this. But I invited you here, Max, really so that we could speak in detail about what, what happened and to look at the background of mm. what's going on. Yep. Well, thanks, thanks, Marissa. And I'll just make one final comment. Yep. Uh, the class action and lots of nearly, I'd say, 99% of the legal action in this whole area is civil, like class actions. See, the, 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 act, the law cases that the uh, taken to the federal court to get what I call fly them here orders back from Nauru and Manus, you know, it's all civil. It's all, uh, there's no, no one has copped a criminal, a criminal record out of this. The thing about health and safety law, as you listen to know, it's criminal. You get prosecuted. Yes. And that's why it's so important that the law be enforced and the likes of the Border Force and Home Affairs and perhaps some senior officers or two 
get charged with criminal offences because that's what it is. If you breach health and safety, that's criminal. Indeed it is, and, and more spotlight needs to be placed on that. Thank you, Marissa. Thanks a lot for your time, Max. Talk soon. Bye now. Bye-bye. My name is Todd Fernando. I'm the Victorian Commissioner for LGBTIQ Plus Communities, and you're listening to 3CR. The United Nations International Day of Peace is being marked with a rally on Sunday the 18th of September, 12pm at the State Library in Melbourne. The theme of the rally is Truth, Not War. It's inspired by these words of Julian Assange. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. This will be a broad-based, inclusive, colourful and peaceful rally with speeches and music for peace. Joining to show your opposition to AUKUS and the acquisition of nuclear submarines. Take real climate action that recognises the massive emissions caused by wars and arms build-up and to march for truth and press freedom. To drop the prosecution of peacemakers like WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange. For more details, go to Melbourne for Assange on Facebook. Melbourne for Assange are free to our supporters. And this is the Doing Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.org.au. And you just heard an interview with Max Costello from the Refugee Action Collective. And we're going to be going now to Anthony Kelly from Melbourne Activist Legal Support, and we're going to be speaking with him about the OC Spray Class Action, providing hope for accountability, Melbourne Activist Legal Support welcomes the class action against Victoria Police's use of capsicum spray and excessive force against protesters at the International Mining and Resources Conference, IMARC, in Melbourne in October 2019. And I'm going to now welcome Anthony to the program. Hello, Marissa. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So, Anthony, I've read bits and pieces in the media, and I believe there's been a few sources that have, uh, you know, talked about this. But I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what's been going on. Sure, sure. So, yeah, many people would remember that in October 2019, police decided to um, spray dozens and dozens of people standing with arms linked outside the conference. Um, with OC foam, or OC spray as it's also called, um, and it causes horrifically burning um, sensations. It can, you know, eye damage. It can, if it gets down your throat, it can literally burn um, the soft tissues and cause massive throat um, swelling and so forth. And it's a, it's a horribly traumatic uh, experience to be um, pepper sprayed. And especially at close range and, you know, getting it in your eyes and in your clothes, it's really a horrible experience. And so dozens and dozens of people experience this at IMARC simply for standing up and refusing to, you know, necessarily obey police directives. Um, legal observers were present. We witnessed it all. We had a team of about eight observers there over three days and we had um, uh, legal observers on the incident on the second day that's the subject of this class action. Um, we produced a, quite a detailed report outlining all our concerns with the use of force and the horses and 
you know, including a detailed analysis of the incident on the second day. And thankfully, uh, the concerns were taken up by two very important uh, law firms um, and legal centres in Melbourne, so one being the Police Accountability Project, at, which is now at the Inner Melbourne Community Legal, Community Legal formerly Flemkin, and a, a specialist class action law firm called C. Finn MacDonald. And so over the last three years, both of those firms have been working together and uh, put a call out for people who were at the at IMARC and put together uh, the basis of a, uh, a case, a class action that was filed last week in Supreme Court. And that um, that filed the law firms on behalf of the, um, the group allege that the use of capsicum spray on protest at that time was unlawful uh, and that uh, it's a coercive tool when there's no immediate or proportionate threat to police officers. And, um, yeah, so finally, after three years, there's um, there's a class action case that's been uh, filed. And, and yeah, as Mel said, as he said at the beginning, we're hoping that it's, uh, it's a step towards accountability. It's one of the, the tools that we can bring to bear um, to um, to generate some uh, action on this potentially unlawful use of a uh, chemical weapon. So where is this being filed? What court? Uh, the Victorian Supreme Court. And uh, we don't have a date for the hearing yet, uh, and, uh, but in a, in a month or two there may be the first um, hearing, um, you know, the first sort of um, um, yeah, forum for the case. And it's likely, to, like, like a lot of these cases, it's likely to take quite a long time before it's uh, resolved. So basically this, this is against Victoria Police. I find it really interesting that... Uh, to use capsicum spray for, for protesters, isn't that that's very disproportionate, isn't it? Well, that's what the case alleges, and that's what Mel's has always said. Um, it's the case is actually against the Victorian government, um, government okay. rather, rather than the police. But sure. the, the police are obviously the, the you know the um, um, the institution who sure. who carried out the, the uh, use of force. So, yeah, so basically what Mel's has been saying is that we've seen OC spray misused, misused as a coercive crowd control tool at protests for well over the, you know, um, consistently over the last 10 years. And we're seeing it used outside of its uh, police's own guidelines. So, you know, the Victorian Police has a manual and these guidelines um, say that Victoria... That, um, uh, OC spray should only be used when there is a clear um, threat, and uh, it should only, and also the use of force guidelines, which are legislated in Victoria law, should only be used when it's um, proportionate um, to the threat faced. So we're seeing it used outside both the law and outside Victorian police guidelines consistently, and that's yeah, that's what the, this case will hope will uh, seek to get the court to deliberate on. Sure. Because I believe that, Ma that Mel's documented multiple human rights infringements at the protest, and this was in a 45-page public report, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. And in an ideal world, the class actions and civil actions and accountability cases for all of those is, um, misuses of force. But, um, yeah, with, with the uh, capacity as it is, it's only really been the, the focus is on at this stage is on the use of the OC spray. Well, it's it's basically unlawful state violence, isn't it, really? 
Well, yeah, so that's what we see. So Mel's has often said that, um, yeah, this is, um, you know, this is the state and the police um, using its array of, array of weaponry and tactics in order to uh, neutralise and det- um, deter or um, strategically incapacitate uh, movements from operating, and particularly when there's you know, any sort of protest that involves disruption at any level, police will use a huge array of tactics to um, to neutralise it, in a sense. And it's hugely problematic. We're seeing an escalation in this uh, policing approaches over years, and it's, a, it's essentially undemocratic. It essentially undermines our human rights and our rights to protest. It's interesting, Anthony, that you're... you're you know, that we're discussing this class action. And even though what I'm about to say is not pertinent to this topic, it is in a way connected. Because I don't know, you may have seen what happened with uh, environmental protests and and protests in general being fined or imprisoned if if they go, for example, to a blockade or, you know, to to a, a, a space where they want to protest. Yeah, that's right. We, we we also see it as part of the same big picture. So our analysis with MELS is that there is a collusion between police and industry and, and government in the creation of specific anti-protest laws, which provides police with increased powers to both arrest and search and um, uh, in, interrupt protests, as well as increase the, the penalties far beyond any sort of proportion for uh, engaging in protest activities. So we're seeing them in Queensland and New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania. It's, sure. um, it's largely coordinated and there is this clear, distinct coordination between police and industry and, and um, members of parliament. So when OC spray was introduced, politicians assured the public that the chemical agent would not be used at demonstrations. That's right, yeah. 1995, the Victorian Police Minister, PJ McMara, um, when he stated to the Victorian Parliament, it's on thin Hansard, that capsicum spray will not be used against person, persons offering passive resistance, nor will it be given to any police whilst it on for demonstration. And that was a, literally a promise to the Victorian people, you know, they stated in Parliament. And... Um, yeah, basically we saw that function creep almost immediately being used in ways that um, it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, it's, and this, the case itself, you know, is focused in on the use of capsicum spray protests, but of course we know it's used on a daily basis against people in crisis, people who are upset, people and people who are simply either um, not a, not obeying or not doing exactly what the police are saying. And we're seeing it used as a coercive tool in a huge range of contexts. Um, Shouldn't yeah, be at all, really. Well, yeah. So it's dangerous. It's problematic. It was yeah, brought in as an alternative to guns uh, after right, you know, Project see. Beacon, the big reform that came out sure. of the, the massive police shootings. Uh, and whether or not, and but but we're seeing it's not being used in that way as an alternative to firearms. It's being used as a um, as a coercive tool, often as a threat. It can be you know, police often will draw it in order to threaten people to get them to do what they want them to do or it will be used um, simply for someone who is just, you know, talking to police in some cases. Well, isn't it then outside police guidelines? Well, that's right, yeah. That's that's what Mel's has seen and other 
you know, police, accountability, police accountability advocates have been tracking this for a number of years. It's come up in reports and in media, and it's been the subject of other cases as well, of course. So this OC class, this is the first class action that's tackled it. So there's a whole group of people that are um, alleging uh, the misuse of spraying. And, um, yeah, so we're hoping that it will um, provide... It'll, it'll, um, It'll provide some real clarity around the unlawful use of, you know, uh, the unlawful use of these sprays, and um, hopefully it will see some accountability, some accountability and changes in the way police are using it. And detailed recommendations are included in the policing of the IMARC protest report. Where can you get hold of that? Well, it's available on the MELS website. So if you, the Melbourne activist, uh, melbourneactivistlegal.org.au. Um, and if you search for iMark there, it's also probably worth mentioning that there was a lot of people um, involved at iMark who were infected by the spray and uh, not necessarily part of the class action yet, and that people can still join even after it's been filed or they can join really? at any time. And it's no obligation. There's no um, actual risk or um, monetary payment or anything that people need to do. They can just literally register their names. And... What's best is go to the Feed Finney McDonald website. And that's, shall I spell that out? Please, yes. Yeah, it's P H I F I N E Y M C D O N A L. So feedfinneymcdonald.com. And uh, they have a page on, on the IMARC OC class action and email addresses and so forth. So anyone there, or if you know anyone that was at the IMARC protest in 2019, they can um, inquire about getting involved in the class action. Yeah, look, I, I've been to a few protests over the years and I've seen cap, capsicum spray. I managed to get out of the way, thankfully, but it, mm -hmm. it really is a, a ridiculous, coercive process, um, in particular because our movements are non-violent. Yeah, that's right. What we saw at, the, at IMARC was that um, literally protesters were linking arms and refusing to move. They were defiant, but they were peaceful. There was no direct threats against police. And um, we saw police sprayed in the faces of people who were um, sitting down, who were getting, you know, who were um, getting down, who were moving away from police at the time. You know, it was used as a crowd clearance device rather than, um, you know, rather than the way, it's, the way it's purported to be used. Um, so, we, yeah, it's, um, it's very clearly articulated in our report and um, it's, hopefully it will be really um, uh, examined really closely as part of this action, this class action. I really hope so. And, and so this, this took all this time, like 2019, before the pandemic. And it's already yeah. 2022 now. Yeah, that's right. And we know there's been other cases of, OC, of police using OC spray protests, and so there may well be other class actions similar to this following closely behind. And I think that's one of the things that we see is needed for police accountability because in the absence of a, you know, properly resourced independent complaints body where where people who are assaulted or, you know, allege any sort of assault from police can get some accountability, uh, people have to use the courts to, to some degree to get some sort of um, redress. So, a very, very mm -hmm. traumatic, traumatic experience. Absolutely, yeah. So expensive, hard, long-term, takes a long time, shouldn't have to happen. There should be a, a really robust complaint body that can deal with a lot of this, these human rights abuses. 
and that you know the government's got obligate, very clear obligations to make sure that anyone affected by human rights abuses from the state um, have a process where they can um, have their um, complaint heard and investigated properly and quickly. Um, but um, yeah, at the moment we don't have that, and um, so people are going to the courts, and and uh, we'll be doing that. You know, we'll be encouraging more and more of these sort of class actions and civil civil actions. Um, good. Until we get. Mm-hmm. So the the other good thing to mention, this of course, is that you know the legal observers present is really important that we manage to have legal observers present, and now we've got a case that's going to come on, um, in part uh, inspired by their reporting and observations. Right. Sorry. What, so, what, what do you mean? Like, oh, so just so you, just so you can see, it's really clear. You can see the link between having legal observers on the ground and the importance of them getting um, getting legal actions that um, oh. follow up. Yeah. So, yeah. it's um, we're hoping to do more of these sort of cases, encourage more and more working with law firms directly, um, so that um, you know legal observer reports can and um, things that we witness at protests can. Um, um, can get before the courts as soon as possible. Absolutely. Well, let's watch this space. And obviously the the protesters that are, that are doing the class action won't be able to be interviewed at this stage. But I'm hoping after it happens we can we can work some, some things out and do that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as the court progresses, there'll be more, there'll be more um, information coming out. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be um, encouraging people to turn up to the court. Hopefully it's not going to be closed to the public. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not sure how it will run on a day-to-day basis, but, um, yeah, we're hoping it's not closed either. Anthony, thank you so much for coming onto the program at such short notice. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Heath, for having me. Take care. Go well. Thanks. All the way from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and touring Australia for the very first time is folk duo Watch House, formerly known as Mandolin Orange. From coffee houses to major festivals, Watch House has played it all with their heavenly harmonies, songs and music. Watch House play the Melbourne Recital Centre 11th of October with support from the wonderful Charm of Finches. Also playing at Out on the Weekend at Seaworks in Williamstown 8th of October. Love Police, proud supporters of 3CR. Brave men fall with the battle cry Tears fill the eyes of their loved ones and their brothers So it went Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafiyah to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Thank you, thank you.
Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates. Perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter.
No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail laws now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Isra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Isra Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Isra Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. And this is the Dawn Time Show, and we're nearing the end of the show today. And just wanted to say thank you for coming onto the show, both to Max Costello and also Anthony Kelly. Um, and we had a very informative show today, and wanted to just remind um, listeners to have a look at what's happening with that class action with the IMARC protests, and also to keep an eye on what's happening with refugees and asylum seekers and work safety. Um, it's approximately 4.53, and I'm going to be saying goodbye very soon. Stay tuned every Monday um, from 4 to 5 p.m. for the Doing Time show, and it's goodbye from Marissa, and I'll see you next week. Take care of each other and stay strong. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.